Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. It is almost the end of October. I really don't know how that's possible. My favorite ice cream place closes for the season on Friday. Yes, I live in a part of the world where ice cream places close for the winter. Anyway, today we continue Virgil's Aeneid. We're up to book four. As a reminder, I'm working from the Fitzgerald translation because that's what I already owned. And I do have a content warning for today's episode. So sorry if this is a spoiler, but this book does deal with suicide and suicidal ideation, which I thought you should know before we get there. Aeneas has finished telling Dido the story of his travels and how he and his crew wound up in Carthage. Dido is haunted by the story and has fallen hopelessly in love with her guest. So she does the obvious thing. She goes to her sister, Anna, and tells her about her feelings. He's so perfect. You'd think he was descended from the gods, which, um, like, he is... But if she gives in to her feelings, then she'll be betraying her dead husband, won't she? I mean, she'd rather die than betray Sicaeus. Anna responds, as you'd hope. Whoa, girl, hold on. Isn't that a little extreme? Besides, Anna offers some good reasons to marry Aeneas. It makes as much strategic sense as it does emotional sense. I mean, uniting with the Trojans can only make Carthage stronger. Anna's advice does nothing to temper Dido's desires. She sets about to prove to Aeneas that she's right for him. She shows him her wealth by making sacrifices at every temple. She holds feasts and hangs on Aeneas's every word. She even sleeps on the couch that he's left, you know, in the warm spot that, that he left behind. She snuggles with Ascanius, which... Yeah, I, how old is Ascanius supposed to be? I have notes in, I have marginalia about trying to figure out how old this child is. Anyway, more importantly, Dido lets all of her grand construction projects grind to a halt. And who were all of those construction projects in honor of? Juno. And Juno is pissed. But she's pissed at the right person. Or God, as the case may be. Juno blames Venus for Dido's behavior and says that the only appropriate way to handle this is with a proper marriage. Which makes sense. Juno is the goddess of marriage. Venus smiles and nods, so Juno goes ahead and makes the plans, which of course go exactly as Juno hopes. The next day, everyone goes out hunting. Juno raises a huge storm, causing the hunting party to scatter in search of shelter. Aeneas and Dido run into a cave together where they get married by none other than Juno herself. And then Dido and Aeneas, well, here's what Virgil says, Dido had no further qualms as to impressions given and set abroad. She thought no longer of a secret love, but called it marriage. Thus, under that name, she hid her fault. Interpret that how you will. Rumor certainly chooses to interpret it in one particular way, and she runs around Africa telling everyone. The kingdom next door is ruled by a man named Iarbus, who happens to be one of Jupiter's many mortal sons, and he wants to marry Dido, so he does the only logical thing and asks Papa Jupiter to do something about this whole Aeneas thing. 
This is all news to Jupiter, so he sends Mercury to find out what's happening in Carthage. Mercury discovers that it is all as reported. Aeneas is quite happily and comfortably installed by Dido's side. Mercury asks why he's not on his way to Italy. Ascanius is the future king of Rome, not the future king of Carthage. And with that, Mercury pops away, leaving Aeneas to gape at where he'd stood. Aeneas calls his men to prepare their ships, but he doesn't want to hurt Dido's feelings by saying goodbye. He'd rather just ghost her, which, dude, seriously. But she discovers his plans, which, I mean, how could she not notice what's going on? He is preparing his entire fleet to sail. She confronts him and begs him to stay, and she reminds him that this will dissolve their marriage, which will leave her vulnerable to marriage to Iarbus or possible overthrow by her brother Pygmalion. Aeneas says he's sorry, but the gods told him he has to go. Plus, they aren't really married, and it's fate. He doesn't have a choice. I mean, if he'd had a choice, do you think he'd be in Carthage instead of back home in Troy? Plus, he's leaving because it's what's best for Ascanius. She can't begrudge him that, can she? Oh, but she can. And she tells him so, going so far as to say some not very nice things about his mother. But Aeneas leaves anyway. So... Dido tries the next logical thing. She sends Anna to the shore to try and stop him, at least until the spring, and that also works about as well as Dido's pleas. So Dido is back where we saw her at the start of this book. She'd rather die than not have Aeneas. And this time, she knows what she's going to do. She makes a very elaborate plan, keeping it secret from Anna. Instead, she tells Anna that she's going to get over Aeneas by burning all of his stuff. So they build a big pyre together. Dido does pause to debate with herself, but she knows that going with the Trojans would not be an improvement. No, she'd rather die. In the night, Mercury again goes to Aeneas and asks why he tarries. He needs to go now, and Aeneas, ever pious, does as he's told. When Dido sees Aeneas sail away for real, she curses him and his descendants, proclaiming that they will be eternal enemies, and that's why Rome and Carthage hate hate each other. She tells her nurse to go fetch Anna. She climbs to the top of the pyre and stabs herself with Aeneas' sword. Anna arrives and tries to save her sister, and thereby herself and Carthage, but she's too late. Instead, she climbs the pyre to cradle her dying sister in her arms. Juno sees Dido suffering and sends Iris to finish the job, which she does by cutting a lock of her hair. With that, Dido dies, and book four ends. One of the courses I took in undergrad was Women in Antiquity. I I can't remember the exact assignment, but it was a group project in which we had to pull selections that showed the role of women in antiquity. I, I honestly don't remember what my group did, and I don't remember if we were assigned our selections or if we got to choose. But I remember another group performing the wedding from book four of the Aeneid. And I feel like our teacher held this up as a scene, a a great scene of women's power, which I suppose in some ways it is, at least on the immortal side of things. And maybe that really was the focus, was how this shows Juno's power. 
as women's power. Um, but, God, this whole book. No, the whole Dido storyline is so problematic. Dido is so strong, and yet look how she ends up. But why? It's because of Juno and Venus. Is Dido ever really in love with Aeneas? We'll never know, because Juno and Venus interfere in her life every step of the way. And while the last two books were all about Aeneas, book four belongs to Dido. It is her story. And yet, we never get a good sense of who Dido is because of Juno and Venus. So, is it fate? I mean, in a way it is. We all know what has to happen. Rome has to be founded, otherwise Virgil couldn't be telling the story. But in the moment, does Aeneas have to do everything Mercury tells him to? He's very pious, so he does. But what would happen if he didn't go? And I think that's what I hate about the Aeneid. It's just, it is not my favorite, which I believe I've said before, it's not. And I think this is one of the reasons. The Aeneid isn't about what people do. It's about people being tossed here and there at the whims of the gods. Dido ultimately doesn't have any control over her life because Juno and Venus take over. Aeneas doesn't have control of his life because the gods keep telling him what to do. And where does that leave us? What does this say about free will? Well, what does it say? Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. You can also find me on Patreon as triumvirclio, and that URL is in the show notes too. In the next episode, we'll cover Book 2, Chapter 2 of the Biblioteca. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.